0: Welcome to episode two of IQ4U, Big Tech and Bigger Lies. I'm Dr. James Norrie. I'm your host today, and my guest is my colleague and friend and deeply talented commentator on all things cyber, Todd Spar. Todd, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. On today's episode of IQ4U, we explore my Amazon bestseller, CyberCon, protecting ourselves from big tech and bigger lies. What makes this such an intriguing topic that we deserve your attention? Well, because we are going to explore why technology is the problem and why more technology won't solve that. So come back and join us right after this short break to discover more about yourself and your innate online instincts and how they can keep you safer or not online. Welcome back. Great to have our listeners back. And if you're a new listener, welcome to episode two. You can always go pick up uh, episode one. Kind of useful. Gives you a lot of background on why we're here and how we see the world. And I want to introduce my guest, Todd Sparr. I I got him in the teaser, so some of you know a little bit about him. But Todd, why don't you tell our audience all about yourself?
1: Okay, I'll just give a a quick overview. We don't want to bore the audience today. Um, But um, 20 years, 20 plus years of IT experience and a former chief information security officer, um, where I built a risk uh, program for a large university, and also a not that they're in trouble these days. No, <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, and a former CIO, which uh, then led me to become an educator. And my relationship with James was formed at that point. But what makes this position uh, at CyberCon IQ so attractive to me is my experience as a CISO and a CIO. So we can buy and buy and buy technology, <laughs> but it doesn't help the human factor. I've been through my share of audits as most CISOs and most CIOs have been. And it's great for checking the training box at, a, at an institution, but the C-suite really doesn't care about the human factor or cyber, it seems, until there is a compromise, until there is a hack. But then it's easy to go back and blame the technology didn't protect us. So we're still missing the point. We're still missing the the human factor because we're just checking a training box. So
0: and, and there maybe is the endless loop, Todd, we want to talk about this morning. Absolutely. So what we have is technology causes vulnerability the vulnerability occurs, that Mm -hmm. reinforces that the technology is weak, and so we invest more money trying to fix the technology. Absolutely. what we miss is what we always tell our clients. And for our listeners, this is something that might be new to you. But the problem is actually not the technology. The problem is the people who are operating the technology. I think Todd and I would both agree. And that's because machines are predictable. We can program machines, we can fix, we can patch them, we can reprogram them, get to do new things, we can figure out what the vulnerabilities are, because they operate in a binary state. They, they are doing what they're told or they're not. We change what what they have to do, by yep. telling them to do something different, we fix the vulnerability. Absolutely. Doesn't work that way with humans, does it, Todd?
1: It doesn't. But We're then, not easily programmed. But then we continue to develop the technology, but then we give the... Humans access to the technology, so we end up poking holes in it. Right. So
0: there is this human underlying human factor that technology can't solve. Right. And that's really what CyberCon IQ is all about. And much of what you heard in the first episode, if you're a listener who's coming back, is we talked about the fact that we are all vulnerable. Mm-hmm. There is absolutely no doubt we are all vulnerable to the kinds of technology uh, issues that are present in the internet, in particular. Where it's a globally connected world, so we're all interconnected. But, but in IT in particular, somebody always has the keys to the kingdom. Um, so think about this. No matter where you work. So I want you to imagine your workplace, and I want you to think about what you do on a daily basis. And we call those workflows. And inside that workflows is a lot of information, and a lot of information that a lot of bad guys probably would want to get. Yes. And you have access to that. And it's not just the idea of logging into your system it's the fact that everything you do, your credentialing, the way you behave, your social media profile and presence, um, you can be socially engineered. You can be uh, really enticed to doing things and become quite unaware that you're even being enticed. And I guess that's really my deep fear: is how much more of this can we sustain? When currently in the United States, it's about a 1.2 billion dollar a month loss. We are taking billions of dollars. Uh, in this economy and losing it to the criminals, the cyber criminals. It's become essentially crime as a service. It's, it's, it's a real racket. And it's the cheapest racket to operate. It doesn't take much other than some technology and a bunch of people sitting over in Eastern Europe or other countries where they can't be extradited to the United States. And they just poke away at us and they poke and they poke. And, you know, if they get one in 20, one in 50, one in 100, it's still a pretty profitable business. Uh, exactly. And, and we keep being enticed.
1: So the latest technology, the latest phone, the latest computer, the latest IoT device, uh, even to the point where, you know, the latest social media, TikTok, you know, for instance, you know, has uh, hit the market. And without regard for
0: privacy and security, we adopted it. Right, and and let us be clear that we we don't on the show want to be xenophobic. We're not you correct, know We're not anti-Chinese or no, any. no, no, no. As people, they're great, but uh, as a government, they're a real problem. And it is very clear to me that when you have TikTok owned potentially by a Chinese companies, so um, many many folks in places like Canada and the U.S. or Australia or England who might be listening to us wouldn't be as comfortable with this statement, perhaps because it, they wouldn't imagine it. But if you live in the United States, you are constantly aware that we are targeted internationally, by by... by all kinds of other, what we call nation state actors, China, Iran, um, you know, you go you down the list, Russians. And they're always trying to interfere with an agenda. And that agenda can be something as simple as the election interference, which I know despite some people saying, oh, that's bogus and it's fake news. It's not fake news. I can assure you that the intelligence community down here has done a very thorough examination of that. For the Chinese, it's mostly theft of intellectual property, and that's what they do to advance their economy. So they have a different perspective. It's economic. If it's North Korea, it's to shame and embarrass, um, to, to extract a toll politically. So even... Each of those countries, as a country, is willing to attack another country and its citizens for a geopolitical purpose. Absolutely. And then in response, Todd, let me just ask you this question. So in response, we decide that we need to IP enable our fridges. <laughs> so I love this story. So let me just share with listeners. So I... I, I I mean, at the best of times, um, my fridge is relatively replete with all kinds of great things that I'm about to cook. But I really don't think I need an app on my phone that allows me to peer into my fridge to determine whether or not I have something. And if you if you care to look at my fridge, and, you know, listeners, you're not going to get a chance to look at my fridge. There are some things I won't show anybody, okay, and my fridge is among them. So, so that fridge is not going to be organized in a way that would make any sense to you, but it would to somebody who's cooking. I love to cook. And so... I don't need to peer into the fridge because if I want to peer into the fridge, what am I going to do, Todd? Open the fridge. Really? I'm going to open the door. I mean, it's a remarkable thought, isn't it? I'm going to open the door. Wow. And I'm going to look inside the fridge. But no, we have IP-enabled fridges from Samsung. This is really great. So there they have a little panel. Of course, if you wave your little hand across it, it'll unfrost the panel so you can peer through the door to see whether you really want to open the fridge. Now, hmm, that's interesting. Well, that... Particular enablement is called IoT, the Internet of Things. And Mm -hmm. this is where it gets scary for me. Whether we're talking TikTok and the latest social media platform, whether we're talking about hooking up our fridges, or whether we're talking about uh, thermostats and doorbell cameras and all these things, all of a sudden, your entire world is interconnected. And much more than you think about you is being shared with all of those vendor companies. And this leads me to the next mm. problem in this. And it was the thesis, the, the major point of the book, the big tech and bigger lies. I would argue they get far more out of that transaction, Todd, than we do as consumers. We oh, absolutely. Get, yeah, theoretically we get convenience, TikTok, fun, mm. you know. Meanwhile, they're mining information that they are reusing, repurposing and reselling. And remarket it back to us. And they sell it back, our own mm. information, and aggregate back to us. And I'm thinking, why do we do this? And it's interesting for me to watch the adoption patterns of new technology. TikTok was a a case study, picture-perfect case study, of why it's concerning, because I don't know that we go in with our our eyes wide open. In fact, the famous movie, we go in with our eyes wide shut. I mean, it's really, we dive head first, straight into the technology pool. Both feet. Both feet. Right in. Really amazing, and so we'll maybe finish this opening first segment with reference to why I also think a little bit newsworthy is the fact that the Department of Justice just sued Google yesterday.
1: Yes, did I you did see, see that, it, Todd? What do that. you think? Well, it, it's it's interesting that they're suing them for anti-monopoly, mm-hmm. um, and and when you think of Google and all the information they collect mm-hmm. from email, from just drive, searches, from searches, advertising. Just advertising. Yeah.
0: Google mean, Apps, it, I mean, it, it makes sense. Boggles.
1: It, it makes sense. The the amount, the vast amount of technology that Google owns, has, can reuse, can market, can commercially, uh, you know, uh, sell on, the, on the, the open market about every individual. Now, we want to be
0: super careful on this show because we are Capitalists. Let's be clear, Todd. I mean, we kind okay. of like the capitalist system. Yes. So I don't think it's necessarily bad that they're a very successful competitor. I think we oh, want to draw a distinction. No, I think so they, yes. Your words are very important. I, I don't necessarily object to their footprint and them being competitive and yeah. then being good at what they do. Yes. And there is no doubt that they have turned their brand, Google, into a verb. We all Google things, and we don't actually know whether it's on Google or anything else. I mean, even yeah. using somebody else's search engine, you're still on Google, Google. right. So I, I don't object to that, but I do think there's something underlying this. And the question is very much like a problem from now 25, 30 years ago when we had Mob Bell around. And you may, some of you are old enough to remember this, I'm sure. Some of you, this won't really matter to you. But Mob Bell got broken up, right, into the baby bells. And part of that was there comes a point at which a monopoly of a certain size is by definition anti-competitive. It is almost impossible for us to imagine creating, I think a thorough competitor to Google. And if they then use practices that are illegal to maintain that monopoly, I think that's actually in support of the thesis that's in my book, which really says big tech is about itself and not necessarily about its users. They don't care about you. They care about themselves. Absolutely. I would,
1: I would agree 100% with that.
0: And so this question of tech ethics and the question of netting it out, you know, the tech bottom line, mm. uh, I, I think it's this. We need to be much more aware of users, because as users, of the risks of what we're adopting. I think we have to become way less naive about the business models and the things that are being done with the information that we share. And I think we're going to have to start making trade-offs. And this is what we'll talk about when we come back. So we're going to move to a, to a quick break in a minute or two. But when we come back, let's talk, you and I, Todd, about how uh, business models uh, that, that tech companies have, what we might do as individuals to protect ourselves, that is, save ourselves from Absolutely. ourselves. We'll be right back. Let's take a quick break
1: iq for You is brought to you by CyberCon IQ, a patent-pending cybersecurity awareness learning platform that is based on behavioral science. CyberCon IQ understands that every individual's learning journey is different, so why should everyone receive the same training program? At the heart of the CyberCon IQ solution is a personal style assessment. By first understanding the workplace persona of each individual in an organization, CyberCon IQ then delivers a personally curated cybersecurity education that teaches employees to recognize the cyber threats they are most susceptible to. Visit CyberConIQ.com for more information on this revolutionary learning platform.
0: Welcome back to the episode two of iq for You, And our our podcast is all about personal risk and reward and how people behave online. So we picked up just before the break this idea of of netting out the bottom line in tech. And I'd really like to explore that for a couple of minutes. So as folks who work in this business, I think we have a different perspective. And the perspective I often use with people is there is no such thing as as my finance professor taught me. Third year finance many years ago, he said, there's no free lunch ever. Right? So we've become really used to getting things for free, particularly online. And in fact, we believe it's a, a right, it's an entitlement. But think for a second about business. So if you are Google and you're in the early days of Google, and we know this, we're in the early days of CyberCon, we know there, there are costs to running a company, right? You've got payroll and computers and cloud services and this beautiful office and the studios, and you have costs. Well, somebody's got to pay for that. And the somebody has to be somebody who gives you revenue. You can't run a business. Last time I checked, Todd. Right, You need money. You need money. So you can never, as a consumer, assume that something is free is not being paid for. So the first thing I would suggest to consumers is that you look very carefully at the ethics of the business models of the various platforms you choose to be with. So let's just go back to TikTok for a second. I think TikTok was massively adopted primarily by a younger demographic. I would agree. Completely without any thought about who owns it or what their agenda might be. Are they sharing facial images? We don't know. Were they collecting information that they were then doing something with? Did it have some other nefarious intent? Because think about the amount of money required to create the platform and store millions of videos a day. So just listeners, think about this. Millions of videos a day are being produced, being stored, being sorted, served up, marketed, parsed, repurposed. Think about that. And I know you want to have fun, and I'm all for fun. But I want you to ask yourself a question. Every time you adopt a social media platform of any description, I want you to ask yourself, what's their business model? How are they generating money? And am I okay? Is my ethical position with them okay? Is my information posture and position, am I okay? What's their ploy? What are they drawing me into? Because if they're offering me something for free, they're getting money from somebody for something.
1: They have to be. They have to be in order to maintain that platform. And and when's the last time... You've read the privacy policy. There you go. When's the last time you viewed that and actually went through how they are sharing your image, your video, your, uh, your username, your email address, your phone number, everything that you put in to even use the app? How many people are actually reading that? So, so I think there is an excitement. TikTok is a good example. And social media in general, um, there's an excitement to get into social media, whatever the, the, the next platform is, um, that, that we often dive in feet first and w- with no regard for any privacy, right. N- nor do we care because we get into that, that click habit. Yeah, click yes, click yes. I just want, I just, I just click yes. Yeah, yeah. I just want to get to what yeah, I want. I just want to get to what I want, I want to do. My first TikTok. Yep, I have to yep. do my first dance. Yeah. Um. You know, yep. and and we have total disregard for the the privacy and the the storage of data and and how the company is going to to take our images and and our information and reuse that. Well, let's hover there for just a second, Todd, because
0: as you know, in our assessment, we have four quadrants. And those of you who have not listened to episode one, you may want to go back. But we know that everybody has a different appetite for risk and reward. Mm -hmm. And we know that they're constantly making trade-offs. There's this calculus underlying how we live our lives, right? And people are prepared to take different levels of risk for different things. And so uh, part of what we study is the psychology. We are at the intersection, of course, of behavioral science and cybersecurity. So what's so intriguing in that, The the description you just gave to me is that our quadrants would respond very differently to a EULA in front of them. A EULA, of course, is an end user license agreement, that thing that none of us or very few of us read. So, in my quadrant, we've never met a set of rules that we like to follow, we like to say. So, risk makers, if you've done the assessment, you know, you're out there, I'm talking to you. Yeah, we're really bad. We just, we don't skip right by, you know, and I hate, I even hate those. There are companies now that make you scroll through. I even find that offensive. I'm like, I'm not even pretending I'm reading it because that's like, takes too much time to pretend I'm reading it by scrolling through before you allow me to click yes. So, I'm not. On the other hand, somebody like our colleague Cindy, who may eventually be on the show, Cindy being a risk breaker, is somebody who actually reads them. And, and what's more interesting to me is she can tell you some of the things that she then changes in terms of her privacy settings and the things she does before she engages. So this is yet another place where our personalities play out because some of us care a lot and some of us don't. And, and full, full full disclosure... I was trained trained as an attorney, so I don't practice deliberately, and I have no interest in practicing law. But if you've studied law, you know how dangerous it is to agree to a contract you haven't read. Exactly. But that is most of the population. They are absolutely disregarding the permissions they're giving these vendors and letting them do this legally to them.
1: Yeah, and, and, and this just extends, I mean, not just social media, obviously, yeah. um, but extends to any app. Uh-huh that you download to your phone or to your, you know, to your device, your tablet, wh- whatever it may be. But, but we, we had this tendency to just, just disregard basic privacy. Why does this app need access to my photos? Right. Is there a reason for that? Right. And you're right. Cindy, who is a risk breaker, she, she could, she could tell you exactly and change her privacy in accordance with, with what she feels she needs to do. Yeah. Myself as a risk taker, I might roll the dice. Yeah. I may say, well, maybe this app down the road will need access to my photos or access or maybe to my I email want, address. Or maybe
0: I want to take the risk of getting access to the photos because there's something about that I want.
1: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Right? Um, That's that calculus, that risk-reward balance that we're trying to get our listeners to pay much more attention to. And it is intuitive. It's, it's instinctive, and it's our impulses about how we behave online. So that, that brings me to an interesting question. So what kind of new knowledge could we maybe share with folks today in this episode that might help them be a little more aware of the bigger questions of these underlying business models that are corrosive? They're deliberately designed to corrupt our attachment to our own personal data and part. They want us to part company. With our data with them. And, and an example, I love this. So you have a Facebook account and they say, listen, just share your phone number. In the event you want to recover your account, it'll be easier. And what do we all merrily do? Punch Click. in our numbers. And the next thing we're really confused because a bunch of weird stuff is starting to show up on our phones. I'm like, have you not connected your dots? OK, it wasn't for your ease and the no. grace of recovering your Facebook account. It was because it's another check mark in their box, right yes. in their box. And if you've not seen the latest documentary that's running on uh, Netflix about social mm. media, where the three guys are at a panel and they're manipulating the user, you should really go see this because it's it incredible. Is, it's really an amazing image that sits in my mind. And if you haven't seen it, you should go look because it sort of gives you this creepy sense that this is intentional, mm-hmm. they are, and they are. These are companies that are being very deliberate in A- what they do.
1: Absolutely, they're 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 trying to uh, get us to salivate, to right. get us to to want to uh, go back. And, you know, how many of us walk around and we get the the, the phantom buds in our pocket? Yes, just because we want to be able to pick up our phone and look <laughs> at something, we want to we want to be in the know. We want to we want to understand what's happening next, what our friends are doing, what's going on, and. And social media knows this. So they build their platform to entice us into continually going back. Right. And, and it's interesting. One of the things uh, when I was teaching, I, I would always say, hey, how many of you are the security expert in your household? Mm. Think about that for a second. With all the devices, IoT, televisions, laptops, cable modem, all enabled, all interconnected, who who's the security expert in the household? Because because now we're at a point where we all have to be that security expert. We all have to understand where our information is being stored, where it's being shared and go to the extreme where where social media, where we're posting our entire lives are out there. Um, And what a social, uh, uh, you know, somebody who is in the social engineering, what they can do with the images, the places you've been and the connections they can make back to
0: you in order to manipulate you, and it's and your and it's your wider family too, Todd. So you mm-hmm. and I are both in the same generation, right? We're mm-hmm. sandwiched because we have, on the one hand, our teenage and young adult children, yes. and so we had to raise them in a world that is really, quite frankly, post-private. So I mm-hmm. would I would argue my hypothesis, which is in the book, is we live in a post-private world where those kids sometimes are on platforms and imagining that they're actually just with their friends in a private cocoon when in fact they're not. So so there's the whole you know youth thing and what we do about making. kids kids' information literate on this question. Yep. And then there's our aging parents, you know, who, in my mother's case, you know, wants to join Facebook so she can stay connected to the grandkids. And I'm like, I'm shuddering. I'm like, oh, um, my goodness, I, know. I don't We're know just- where this is going to go. And those of you uh, in the office who know my mother are all smiling. I can see you through the <laughs> studio but, window.
1: But, but isn't that a shame? Because our seniors, yes.
0: our seniors, our oh, parents, so vulnerable.
1: Uh, but they're so vulnerable. And, and it, it sickens me that people are taking advantage of them, but but they're almost forced into technology. Mm-hmm. You know, they're almost forced into, into getting the smartphone. They're almost forced into, into having an email address, social media account, uh, an IP-enabled television. Right. Because that's what's available. That's what's there. So, so they're, comf- they're coming from a generation that has no background yeah. in security and technology and being forced into it so they become an easy target.
0: Well, we have a future episode actually on the whole issue of um, seniors and our aging population, the impact of technology. I've got a great guest for that episode. So stay tuned. That'll be coming up. Uh, well, with that, I think we've come to the end. So uh, let's net it out. Um, buy the book. You can get it on Amazon. It's a, it's an Amazon bestseller. I, th- I think it's still in stock now. Where We just did a third printing. But anyway, go ahead and buy the book. And if you want to get in touch with us, we always want to hear from our, our users. So feel free to send us either an audio file or an email to iq4u at cyberconiq.com. And thank you so much for joining us today. Until next time on IQ4U, keep your game on against the con. Have a great day.
1: This episode of IQ4U is produced by me, Chris Perez, and editor is Abigail Sparr. Special thanks to our co-hosts and content developers, Dr. James Nori and Todd Sparr. All rights reserved for this podcast are reserved to CyberCon IQ, Inc., And you can listen to this podcast for free on any of your favorite platforms or by visiting us at cyberconiq.com.